This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing, where each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom from the female perspective. Everything from Star Wars, to The Office, to cosplay, to fanfic. It's all right here, so sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to this week's first episode of It's a Fandom Thing. We are continuing our celebration of Pride, and we're going to be talking about the show Pose. Um, and before we get into all things Pose um, and have everybody introduce themselves, I just have a few announcements. Um, I've mentioned before that we are going to start doing, uh, we're going to try raising some money for Black Lives Matter for various organizations. Like I said, I want to try and fo- focus on organizations that may not be getting as much attention. And we definitely want to be donating to um, Black trans organizations. And I've got some of them um already that I've found that I want to utilize as well, um, or, or utilize where the donations will go. Uh, and so what we're going to be doing is we're working on a silent auction. We're trying to gather items together. I'm trying to learn how those work since I've never done anything like that before. So I'm kind of just starting fresh from there. We are also working on merchandise that we're going to have where all the proceeds will also go to, will go to charity. And for that one, we have uh, Brooke, who was on our Will and Grace episode. She's designed a really neat logo for us. And then Sarah, not Sarah, who's on the episode today, the other Sarah, she is going to be designing merchandise for us. So that'll be really cool. And then we also just launched listener support, which you can click on through the Anchor app, through our Anchor page. It'll also be in the show notes. And through September 1st, at least... Um, everything that we get from that uh, will go to various Black Lives Matter organizations. And they may change through time depending on needs. We may add some. If anybody out there has any that they would like to bring to our attention that we might not be aware of, please feel free to do that. Reach out to us. Um, I I'm here to listen and I would love to have more on there. I'm trying to get at least a list of 10 and then keep rotating and trying to do as much good as we possibly can. Because like I said before, we need to speak out and do stuff, especially all my fellow white people out there. So um, yeah, so we're going to start that. And then another thing you will notice in this episode is there's going to probably be an advertisement. So we are starting to do that and all of the proceeds we'll get from that once again through September 1st, at least through then it might be extended or at least a portion will be extended beyond we'll go to uh, Black Lives Matter organizations. Okay, so now let's go around and have everybody introduce themselves and tell me one thing in pop culture that they're excited about right now. I'll go ahead and start with you, Sarah. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm not used to going first. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I live here in Aurora, Colorado, and uh, of course I've been binge-watching a lot of the shows to prepare for a lot of the podcasts I've been doing. Of course, Pose, uh, binge watched the whole second season in less than a day. So 
pretty proud of myself on that one. And I'm excited to rewatch Sense8 in honor of Pride Month and another podcast. And other than that, I really haven't been uh, listening to anything else. I have been listening to this podcast, which has been fun. It's been interesting trying to get more conversation going on our previous episode of queer baiting, which was a really powerful conversation. So I'm excited to hear more uh, of what we can bring to the table with uh, minority baiting discussions and things involved with that portrayal. Great. And then Tiffany. Hi, I'm Tiffany. Thanks for having me back on, Erin. Um, I just finished season two of Rami on uh, Hulu. And the best part of that was that Mahershala Ali, <laughs> Mahershala mm-hmm. Ali was uh, acting as Rami's sheikh in the uh, in season two and he's awesome pretty much in everything that he's ever done. So I was really happy to see him in that. And um, I'm also watching, since I finished that, I'm started a series on Netflix called blood and water. It's a South African series about a young girl whose sister was abducted from the hospital as an infant. And so it's uh, I'm on, I'm only on episode two, but it's, it's really interesting and, and, really, really good acting and they're young and they're younger actors. Uh, but it's, it's really great so far. So I'm looking forward to finishing up with that. Well, yeah, those are, those are two things I need to check out. Yeah. I've heard a lot of good things about Rami. That's one that I really, really need to watch. I know my mom was mentioning that one, um, when she watched season one, I don't know if she's watched season two yet, but yeah, I, I need to check that one out. That's definitely on my list. Um, okay, well, and what I'm into is I just watched a documentary. I was looking for Paris is Burning to actually prepare for Pose because I've actually never watched Paris is Burning, which, shame on me, I should watch that documentary. And I couldn't find it anywhere. Maybe I'm just dumb, but I just could not find it anywhere. Like, you couldn't, I couldn't even rent it on, like, Amazon video. Um, so instead, what I did find on Hulu is this documentary called Kiki. And it is more about the present day ballroom scene in New York. So it really fits in well with what our topic is today. And it's just, it's just really interesting, very fascinating. Um, And especially since it is, it is present day um, and seeing, you know, that, that community and finding people, finding home um, and finding acceptance um, outside of their family or outside of friends or outside of society as a whole. Uh, so it's, it's really, really good. And I highly recommend that one. And once again, that's streaming on Hulu. Okay. So let's get into pose. Um, so I'm going to go around and just ask everybody what their overall thoughts are on pose. If you have any favorite episodes, um, if you've watched it from the beginning or just how you came to find it. So I'll start with you, Sarah. Uh, you introduced me to this show (laughs) and quite honestly um, I don't tend to watch a lot of LGBT uh, media and movies and series and my first impression of the first episode was like oh this is going to be like a bunch about a bunch of drag queens which I'm totally happy about and but I didn't I wasn't sure as to what, what direction the show was going to go. And I loved how it evolved and the intricacies of every character and 
the relationships that come out of it and I I love this show it's absolutely amazing and I love the historical context that it brings from the LGBT culture and during the 80s and especially during the AIDS pandemic and how it's still a fight that we're navigating even still today and just just the heart-wrenching loss that people had to experience and so it's I've seen a play about the AIDS epidemic from the 80s and it was powerful, but I think this really, really, really struck at home for me in, in our really dark history that we have and painful history that we have and uh, the racial dynamics as well as the um, marginalizing the transgender community extensively and we still do that today so i'm i'm excited to to speak on the amazing transgender actresses actors and actresses we have on the show that are going to really pave the way for more movies and uh, more actors to come out and participate in mainstream entertainment Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Well, I'm glad that I was able to introduce you to this show because I love this show. And Tiffany? I was introduced to it actually through the advertising that FX was doing. I watched a lot of different shows on FX and they really, really promoted the heck out of it when uh, before the the series premiere. So I was really impressed by that. Um, They had a lot of presence on Twitter. They had a lot of presence on Facebook. Um, They were doing a lot of advertising on FX and FX now, all of the, um, the various platforms that FX actually uses. So that was really great to see. And then, I mean, billboards as well. There were billboards all up and down the, uh, the freeway, at least here in, you know, in the LA area. So that was really awesome. And I think it would just capture a lot of people's attention. And um, even if you weren't really sure what it was going to be about, just the influx of, um, of imagery that we were seeing really, really put it in the forefront of people's minds. And I was really glad to see that Janet Mock was, who herself is a trans woman, was um, one of the showrunners for it. Uh, because I think it's important to have a person that has that experience be in charge of a show where that experience is in the forefront. So um, we've seen other shows like Transparent and um, Baskets with having cis men play trans women. And it's it's so weird to me to have somebody do that. It just doesn't make any sense when there's so many very, very excellent trans women actresses to play those roles. So I was really glad that they took the time to um, cast this show right. And, and you get that, you get a complete vibe that they know what's going on and they can, and they can put their own experiences into the writing and it really comes through across the screen. So I love the show. <laughs> I, I rambled around it, but I love the show. <laughs> oh yeah, that was that's great, and I'm so happy to hear that they were um, advertising it so much. See, I don't I don't have cable anymore, and I haven't really been 
streaming, like had cable on any of the streaming channels. So I just watched it when it came out. Like it was a little bit over a year ago. I binged the first season on Netflix because I had heard about it. I had heard so many good things about it. And like you said, I mean, it's really amazing that, you know, they, they were able to get this show off the ground and I'm so glad that they were promoting it so much. And it's so great that they, you know, like you said, that they have, um, trans people behind the scenes be creating it and working on it because that makes a big difference. You know, if you're having people that aren't in that community telling the story, I think you lose something. And especially having people who are portraying the characters be trans themselves because, you know, I mean, going back to, you know, like e even women have done like trans America, you know, stuff like that. It's just, you know, not having someone that is actually representative of the community does a disservice, especially when there's so many talented people out there that are actresses that can play the characters, you know, so that's, so that's a really, really big blessing for the show. And then also, I just, I think all the acting is amazing. The characters are amazing. Um, such great storylines. The, the writing is so good. Uh, it, nothing ever feels, um, cliche or over the top at all um and the music i have to say i am such a sucker for 80s music and you know then they go into a little bit of the early 90s music and i'm such a sucker for that stuff so i love yeah. the music as well that's that's fun um and just watching the ballroom scenes it's just it's so great and we're going to get into all the characters because of course you know, pray tell just watching that is just amazing as well. And just, it's just such a unique, um, show. And I, I don't, I just, I think it's really beautiful in a lot of ways, you know, too. Um, and also, as you were mentioning, Sarah, watching it follow the, the AIDS pandemic. Cause I remember, you know, when I was a little kid and, um, we, one of my mom's friends, um, died of AIDS and watching that she was one of the few people that um, stuck around and cared for him and you know she'd go and get a movie theater popcorn because it was the only thing he could eat and the only thing that he really actually kind of liked and and watching him you know die from that disease was it's just it was just so so painful and so watching this show being set in that just brings back a lot of that. I was a kid, but still brings back a lot of memories of, of, of that time. And that was such a tumultuous time, um, you know, and such a sad and scary, scary thing, um, especially the fact that nobody was doing anything about it because nobody seemed to care because of who they perceived it was only affecting Um so yeah, so it's 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 a great great show. I think it's one of the best shows that comes out of the Ryan Murphy canon, you know. Um, but I'm glad that he doesn't have sole control of it. I will say. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's really good. So let's get into talking about um, sort of the we've we've talked about representation and how that matters. I mean, as, as far as ensuring that transgender characters are portrayed by transgender actors. Um, and let me get to this little trivia bit here. It was like at least 54 um, trans actresses. So it's the largest cast of any scripted series in history um, of that, that features trans actresses, which is just incredible. Uh, and I hope that that continues, that this, you know, this, the show is 
successful as far as I know it's pretty successful it's well received so hopefully that fact um, can make you know there be more representation across the board um, so do you guys have anything else you want to add in as far as like with the representation and then we'll get into the characters and the show as a whole but anything you want to add in with that Sarah I definitely want to acknowledge the racial dynamics that they really brought to the table. And that's one of the things that you see the most in the trans community is the lack of accessibility and coverage of people of color that are transgender. And they're so underrepresented. And one of the lines that Blanca said in, in the show that Damon is black, you're gay, and you're poor. You have everything working against you. And the only thing that he didn't have working against him was him being trans. And so that really puts into perspective how on a hierarchy level, we have put the transgender community at the bottom of the barrel. And so they're always the easiest ones to attack. And they're always the easiest ones to uh, get dismissed anytime they're uh, murdered or injured and it's really prevalent in a lot of um, South American uh, communities definitely in Peru and Brazil and Brazil Brazil, where you see a lot of instances of uh, trans people of color that are being murdered so I really am grateful they had a full spectrum of the rainbow there was like hardly any white people and the white people Mm -hmm. were the ones that were getting red in the restaurants and and which I I loved I love that part (laughs) but um yes the racial racial dynamics and even they even touched on um Blanca having dyslexia and that was like a surprising like um introduction to learning disabilities and so we're, they were that kind of plays into yeah the disability community and uh, yeah I just love how incredibly diverse this was and that white people were the enemy and during that era especially in New York especially because of the Trump era that they were fighting so accurate and unfortunately we're still fighting that same racial dynamic today through Mm -hmm. black lives matter and um so i'm so grateful there was like massive expression of racial dynamics sexual dynamics and how um, even the sociological dynamics between or socio-behavioral dynamics of white cisgender men that wanted to be with transgender women to uh, have something to get away with or have something that they had that was sneaky and theirs and that they can use as a tool or a pet or, or, or whatever. So it was interesting that they even had Electra's uh, boy toy of 10 years actually come out and flat out say that like you are my hidden gem Mm -hmm. and my little sneaky little experience that I don't share with everybody. It's something I can get away with. And I wonder how many people have had that experience of being with a trans person and 
using them as their little secret. And so that, that kind of goes down in a whole other rabbit hole, but I really love that they played on those dynamics and it was mm-hmm. very powerful. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And Tiffany? You know, I, I like what Sarah said about like the um, the dynamics and the hierarchy within the show. It's almost like um, relationships within the relationship that the show has with the viewer. Um, just thinking about when Electra has her gender affirming surgery and then her her boy toy doesn't want her anymore after that. It, it he only wanted her in a specific way and her happiness was secondary to that. It was his way or the highway. And then when she tries to get uh hook up with another, I guess you could call him sugar daddy, uh he is the same way. He only wants what he wants when he wants it. And the idea that her gender affirming surgery was almost like a uh, a turnoff for these men was really really interesting to me but then within the ballroom community the ones who do have gender affirming surgeries and are what they call i guess full women now uh they're seen as the creme de la creme like the one who went to the ones who went to um i think they said the philippines and they had and she she got full body yeah. <laughs> when she came back and everybody was in awe of how she looked. And uh, that's really interesting because the flip, it, the script is flipped between what Electra did with the, with the sugar daddy and then how she's seen in actual ballroom. She's placed on this pedestal. So I really thought that was really interesting because I I wasn't aware of that. I wasn't aware that that was actually um and another barrier within that community that they have their own just like you know colorism in the black community and in in southeast asian communities um or uh classism between rich middle class poor and and lower class so it it was really interesting that they that they put that in there just to give us that viewpoint so uh I, I like that. I love that. I thought it was uh, it was really uh, it was brave of them to to really delve into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree with everything that both of you guys have said. Um, and I want to add a little bit. One thing I was so grateful for is that they didn't do what I think another show might have done with the Evan Peters character, Stan, you know, who he had um, the affair with Angel and Angel was, you know, really in love with him and thought, you know, this was her prince. Um, And what I really, really appreciated is they didn't turn him into that prince character. They didn't turn him into this savior. Um, You know, he disappeared and I'm hoping he never comes back, but he's, he disappeared. (laughs) And so, and, and, and they didn't have her, um, you know, her whole identity be wrapped up in him and him being able to, you know, be like, find himself through, through the ballroom community or, you know, it, it turned the tables and the story be about him. And I think in a lot of shows that probably would have been what had happened. And this was just a lot more realistic. And also, you know, he didn't, he didn't earn that. So it, 
to me, it would have been really bad if they had turned it into him actually being a prince, which I was worried for a minute they were going to do that, you know, when he actually said he wanted to be with Angel and he was going to leave his wife and all that. But, of course, that didn't last. Um, and, and so I just want to mention that because I just really appreciated that they did that. Um, that was a lot more honest and realistic. And plus, they didn't center him in the story. So I think that made a big difference. Um, okay, let's get into uh, the characters themselves a little bit. And, or actually, I'm sorry, let's get into the ballroom co- culture first before we get into the characters, just in case people don't know, which I should have started out saying this, what 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 ball culture is. And I'm going to read just sort of a little bit from Wikipedia about it. Um, ball, co- ball culture, excuse me. Um, it's also described as drag ball culture, um, the house ballroom community, and similar t- terms are used to describe a young African-American and Latin American underground LGBT subculture that originated in New York City, um, in which people, quote unquote, walk, i.e. compete for trophies, prizes, and glory at events known as balls. Um, attendees will dance, vogue, walk, pose, and support one another in one or more of the numerous drag and performance competition categories. So they'll have different categories. Um, and the categories are usually designed to simultaneously epitomize and satirize various genders and social classes while also offering an escape from reality. So, yeah, and, and ball culture first um, got recognition sort of with, with uh, the documentary Paris is Burning, which inspired this show in a lot of ways um and actually um i'll just add really quickly here um that the director of paris is burning jenny livingston is credited as as being a consulting producer for pose so i wanted to add that in there too um is there anything else anyone wants to add about ballroom culture before we move on to the characters I just I think it's really fascinating how it's kind of evolved in different ways throughout the years and and I see I see the appeal of the balls themselves and how they functioned as a community in New York and various places for the LGBTQ community but also how it kind of influenced a lot of the drag culture male and female drag of how most drag queens, especially when I was growing up in my late teens and early 20s and in the 90s, was that most drag queens had a drag mom or they had a drag dad or somebody like that to really teach them the the ropes and dynamics of how to be a successful performer and do your makeup and do your costumes, how you how you portray your character, who how you identify and present yourself. So I'm I'm grateful that that kind of culture and dynamic has has continued to some degree, but it, now it the drag culture has turned into more of a competitive dynamic than a ha- family house dynamic. And I think that really discredits a lot of the history of where we've come from. And we lost out on a lot of that knowledge and opportunity of learning from previous performers. So I just wanted to mention that. No, thank you for mentioning that. And Tiffany, is there anything you want to add on ballroom culture? Uh, I do appreciate the, how it evolved from, being a very tight knit family. Um, although they were competing with one another, it was about upliftment and it was about um, support. And 
I, I do agree with Sarah in that I think that they've moved away from that. And a lot of that, I think, is just due to, you know, the influx of reality television and uh, just the competition nature of everything nowadays. Everything is a comp- competition. I mean, gosh, there's no cooking shows anymore. They're all just competition <laughs> shows. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think in some ways it's mirroring our present day. Uh, so I hope that it undergoes an, a revolution of sorts as opposed to an evolution. I hope it undergoes a revolution and that tight-knit family is back again. And the the very marginalized, the the least of us all is uh is supported by those, like like Sarah said, by those um those house mothers and those house fathers. Uh, because it's important for, especially for kids and for um, teens that are finding their way, it's really important for them to have that that adult figure that they can look up to. And if they don't see that in their in their present life and and people that they can emulate, where does that leave them? You know, we all want somebody to look up to. So uh, I hope it I hope it does undergo a revolution. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. And, you know, like I said, that documentary that I watched Kiki, you know, it talks a lot about that was just from a couple of years ago. So it is still there. Um, The ballroom culture is still going strong and they still do the competitions and um, you know, the way that they used to do them. So it's, it's, it's really interesting. I highly recommend that because it, um, it shows that it's still there and it's still needed. Um, and so that that's a really, really good documentary on that. Um, and then just briefly to say, since we're about to talk about uh, two of the house mothers in Pose, um, what houses are in case anyone listening doesn't really know. Um, but the houses um, in the ballroom community, they serve as, an alt- as alternative families. So they primarily consist of black and Latino, gay, gender nonconforming, gender queer, and transgender individuals and are meant to provide shelter, solace, and safety for those who have often been kicked out of their original homes due to being LGBT. So they're led by mothers and fathers who are usually older members of the ballroom scene who are typically drag queens, gay men, or trans transgender women who provide guidance and support for their house children. So it is finding that um, alternative family, which we've talked about before um, on a couple of the episodes during this month, you know, finding those, like when we talked, when we talked about queer as folk, like Deb on queer as folk being, you know, the, the mother of everybody on there who isn't accepted. And, and so it's pretty incredible having these houses and having that, that home that so many of these people didn't have or they were kicked out or treated like crap or abused or anything like that, you know, any number, number of of things. And so to be able to find that home and that solace is a really incredible thing. And it's beautiful to watch in the show um, and to watch these house mothers and how different each house mother is, Um, especially the two that we're going to be talking are pretty, they're pretty polar opposites although one is actually the mother of one of one of the others so it's it's very interesting watching them I mean house mother of one of the others so let's start talking about the characters let's start with Blanca who is a house mother and I consider her sort of the a central character um, so what are your thoughts on Blanca um, Sarah I absolutely love Blanca. Um, she, the growth that she shows and the strength and the fortitude and the uh, 
integrity and um, passion and like I can speak mounds about her. She is definitely one of those pivotal characters that lead from the front and don't put up with any shit. Um, I love how she forces her children to show up and engage with life and be authentic and be uh, navigate with integrity and uh, compassionately like she is like that strong female leader that um, you definitely see in a lot of um, homes of people of color she's Dominican so that's pretty prominent for a Dominican uh, female role uh, same with um, most uh, black women who are mothers. You, they have the, in, the intense, like, you get your feet off my furniture type attitude and don't don't disrespect me in my house. And I love that dynamic. And that really gives them that hard structure that each one of them needs in order to navigate life. And And it shows with how quickly everybody grows up and becomes the person that they want to be and and. And then she gets to the place where she can start over and do that again. And find, she finds her purpose and her role in that. And it's, it's amazing to see that um, just her, her growth and her passion and, and protection and not just for her house. It's not a house versus house. It's a, we may have a house, but we also have a whole entire community that we're supporting and we are representing each other. Like she shows up, she is authentic and genuine and she is so selfless. So uh, like she's right up there with Deb from Queer as Folk that like she gets the mom of the year award hands down. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and Tiffany. I love the way MJ Rodriguez plays Blanca because she shows this vulnerability um, and her face is so expressive and uh, you know when she's hurting and you know when she's mad and you know when she's, when she's happy and she, she almost, the idea of her, her pride in her children and in her house is is everything for her it's everything to her and the way she drags Damon to to the new school Mm -hmm. (laughs) sure that he gets his audition and to make sure that he's doing what he needs to do to be successful and the way she pushes Angel to be a success and uh, to go after her dreams with modeling and the way she pushes little Poppy to make sure that he's not doing what he's supposed to, what he's not supposed to be doing <laughs> in, you know, in those streets and, and slinging product and, and making sure that he stays on the straight and narrow. She is a mother. She is a, a role model and a guide. And she understands that she has to be that for, for the kids. She, she gets it. I mean, she truly, truly gets it and she takes it really seriously, but there's always a level and element of fun with her as well. So I think she, I think MJ just plays her brilliantly. Uh, and I'm, I'm really excited after having that, um, her, that medical scare in season two, at the end of season two, I'm, I'm 
really ready to see what she does for season three um, because I hope it's a comeback of sorts for her. Yeah, me too. It'll be interesting to see with her new children that looks like she's taking in to see how, how that yeah. works. But yeah, she's, she's incredible. And I'm going to start crying thinking about but the scene in the, in season two's finale when she comes out in the wheelchair and she's lip syncing to the national anthem and she, you know, stands up in that red outfit and she's just, oh my God, it's so powerful. And you see to me, that's like seeing her growth, seeing her strength, seeing her really coming into her own because, you know, there's, she's kind of in denial of, of her illness. She's um, also, I think kind of hard on herself a lot of times. Um, and there was just so much confidence and beauty in that scene that it was just, oh my God, that was just, oh, I watched it over and over again because it was so beautiful watching her do that, especially with her str- struggling with her health and with her health scare and to see that strength come out and to um, just, and, and to have that acceptance, we'll get into Electra in a second, but to have the way Electra spoke about her after that, when she had her come up there and be one of the judges um, was beautiful too so just she's she's just incredible and i agree um mj's performance she is really really amazing and she grows as a as an actress throughout the show you can see her growth as well yeah which is always beautiful to watch i always love to watch actors grow and and get more comfortable in the role and push themselves um and she's such a great mom um, and, and they're just so lucky to have her and they realize that they really realize that they really love her and adore her and she's saved their lives in so many ways um, and helped them achieve their dreams. And she has achieved her dream. I think her biggest dream was to be a mother and to save people. Um, and that's what she has done. And she's just an incredible incredible mom and an incredible woman in person and her friendship with pray tell is also beautiful to watch and she's just so great and yeah and i can't wait to see what happens in season three as well um and see you know what her house looks like now with most of her children gone to pursue their dreams and you know whether it be modeling or dancing and and stuff it just it'll be really interesting to see what this next chapter brings for her um, and in her life. So it'll be really, really interesting. And I'm really looking forward to it. But yeah, she's, she's incredible. And yeah, I still just can't get over that scene. <laughs> I just, it just, I don't know, it just gives me chills just thinking about it, because she's so great in that. Um, okay, well, let's get to the other prominent house mother on the show, Electra Abundance. <laughs> and she's definitely different than Blanca. <laughs> and, her handling. and she was, and she was uh, Blanca's mom. She was uh, Blanca was in Electra's house in the beginning of um, season one, and then she left and started her own house. But let's get into Electra. What are your thoughts on Electra, Sarah? Initially, I thought she was mean as hell, but <laughs> and she is. <laughs> but um, I, I think it's just I, I'm almost certain it's a it's a coping mechanism to protect herself, and she kind of touches on that, like warmth and compassion are not her strengths and and trust is something that is not to give them, be given lightly um so that really speaks to her character but she has some strength in her 
that you rarely see in the trans community and it was, her representation is powerful and she runs her house for all the problem children that need a little extra push to keep in line and they may not go into advancing and in different aspects of uh, life as Blanca pushes her kid, children but she still gets them to grow and show up and be loyal and even though there's some house swapping here and there, and she has some loyal children that are dedicated to her for some whatever reason. <laughs> I would not want to be in her house at all. <laughs> she, she definitely takes, takes the credit for everything that's happened. Like, <laughs> like when, when Damon gets his big break going, being able to go on that tour, she's like, look what I have accomplished. Like, yeah. I am so proud of myself. Like you didn't do anything. You were mean. And, and then just telling him if he fails, then don't even bother coming home. It's like, that's really extreme. But I understand the the dynamic where she's really trying to push them and to to do really well because nobody is ever going to give you a handout, especially for the LGBTQ community. So she's really pushing them to be... Um, independent and fierce in in obtaining anything that they want in life and if it's not excellent it then don't even bother um so it brings out a lot of the perfectionism in, in um her children but what i love about her character is that as the season goes on especially at the beginning of season one uh, season two she really shows her vulnerable side and she really shows how she really does need her community and then she starts showing up for them in a, in a new and profound way and it may not always be the best and she always has her personal benefits to come about from those experiences um, especially the instance where they were putting the house-sized condom on <laughs> Mrs. <laughs> Francis's house, I think it was. <laughs> oh my god, that was hilarious. <laughs> and I love how she reads people. Like, that's one of my favorite things she does, especially to the white woman, and I'm assuming they were up in the Hamptons, that she just reads them, does a pause, takes a glass of water, refreshes herself, and then keeps going. <laughs> like, I have never seen anybody be so quick-witted when it comes to reading people, and it's it's spot on. It's she is so eloquent at pointing things out and calling people out for exactly who and what they are, even if they don't want to hear it, especially if they don't want to hear it. And it, the authenticity that she brings with that character is astounding, and I I love that about her. Um, so yeah, she she grew on me, but she wasn't my favorite at first. <laughs> and, and Tiffany, I <laughs> Electra's personality is so big; it's so <laughs> outrageous. Yep. Uh, it takes up so much space, and I think that's why I like her so much. I mean, like Sarah said, she is mean as a <laughs> rabid bobcat. I mean, she is a mean, but, but 
there's there's no denying that she is that she's fierce and she's beautiful and she's powerful and she's strong and she's magnetic everybody wants to be around Electra even if you don't like her that's right. the that's the key <laughs> everybody wants to be her <laughs> even if you if even if you hate her um <laughs> something there's just something about her that draws people in and I do like her I like her um her evolution as a character because like Sarah said you do see that softer side of Electra when she's going through it when she loses her house uh and when she has to build another house and when she asks when she's asking um Blanca for assistance when that whole situation as a dominatrix went sideways. <laughs> yeah, I, you know. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, it's just um, I like the way that her character is written so much, and Dominique Jackson is just amazing. <laughs> she is amazing. She she does. She reads people for filth. She read, um, oh my goodness, her reads to Candy. And I felt so yeah. bad. <laughs> Candy is season one. <laughs> because she stayed on Candy's neck consistently. Consistently. Mm-hmm. So I I really enjoy the character of Electra. And I I went around saying, come judge for me. Come judge for me. <laughs> I went around saying that for like the whole, <laughs> like the, the whole summer last year. <laughs> I know people were tired of me saying it, but I don't care. <laughs> don't judge for me. <laughs> yeah, she's she's incredible. And yeah, that must be, she must have so much fun playing that character. Because, I mean, she just gets to just lay it all out there. And she, yeah, she can come off as a bit of a a, a bitch at times, I guess would be the best. <laughs> but, you know, she's she also is she's so strong as well and she she's had to put on I I think she's like you said Sarah this is you know it's a front that she's had to put on to make it you know in the world to make it in life Mm -hmm. um but she's she's so amazing and you know like you guys are saying even though everybody kind of hates they love to hate her kind of thing she's that kind of character yet they all really love her and yet she's consistently winning all the time you know she's always she's winning so much <laughs> at, in the ballroom competitions she's always taken home those trophies and you know but she, she's been a very very interesting character to watch and I'm glad that you know they didn't just make her one note of just being mean and angry or you know yelling at people all the time or being the bitchy catty one I'm glad that they you know gave her more depth and showed that vulnerability in her and where she did have to reach out for help. And I think for her, that is so hard because she wants to be the strong one and the pillar of strength and wants to show the world that she doesn't need anyone. She's there to help everybody. She can help you guys, but she doesn't need anybody. She doesn't need any help. She's got this all on her own. You know, she knows what to do. She knows what to do better than anybody else knows what to do. You know, she wants to have that, that control. And so to be asking for help took so much vulnerability and, and so I'm glad they were able to show that and that she was able to show that side. But yeah, I still cracked up at that scene though. And she's like, and I want to, you know, this was all because of me when David got the chance oh because God. it was so perfectly her. And I just cracked up because, 
you know, especially that they were juxtaposing it to other people. Going, oh, this was so great. You did all of this. And she's like, it was all because of me. All me. <laughs> all me. I take Damon's all the face. He's like, what? <laughs> oh, and she, can we just say that she had the greatest like meme face when Damon was um, putting pray tell and Ricky on blast about <laughs> about having that relationship with Electra said oh yeah <laughs> yo her face yeah. I do I do love that she found her her niche in in the world as a dominatrix perfect yes, yes. very perfect <laughs> She's like, what do you mean you want to pay more for me to leave you alone? And like, I, I think one of the things that she said in, in the second season when they went to the beach house was to her client where it is a privilege for you to seek out loneliness. And that really like, oh God, that's so true. And that definitely speaks to a lot of the New York clients that she was engaging with through her practice and how I'm sure how, how out of control they felt. But I love that she found her calling. But even then she was like, oh God, I killed a guy. And that was, that was a very funny experience where she's going to four different people trying to figure it out. And then it's haunting her in her closet and smelling of the place. She's hanging for air fresheners in her closet. She's like, I love extended candles I like pine <laughs> like, nobody likes pine nobody likes pine that much. <laughs> so I'm just like what is she gonna do with that thing is she just gonna hold on to it forever and just stare at it like this horrible thing in her closet for the rest of her life <laughs> But she, she definitely found her calling in, in her work, and I'm, I'm glad she can be very uh, fruitful in that because it really <laughs> plays to her strengths. <laughs> yeah, it, it does, and, and she does really, really seem to enjoy it. <laughs> it's pretty awesome, though. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty Okay, let's get into Angel. So, what are your thoughts on Angel, Sarah? Angel, um, she seems very timid, and I, and she's willing to settle for whatever comes her way, and not have any faith that she's going to um, experience it long term. And even with her her modeling uh, exposure, where she was exposed as being transsexual, as they use in the language in the movie which is definitely old language, but um, like she immediately was like giving up on her dreams because that one instance happened. Like, of course my life is over. They've found me out. They know what's the tea, as she said. And like, that's an, an, some interesting language that they threw in there as well, because I, I don't know a lot of history about say what's the tea or, or what, because I, you hear, hear the song, let's have a kiki and, and things like that. So um, I like how she grows and steps into herself and then how Poppy comes in and, and supports her like through and through. And I totally ship them, totally ship them. <laughs> um, but Angel, she's like the, the delicate, like little girl that just stays this, but, 
she finds her elegance and she finds her beauty and then she learns to accept it and learns to accept being seen by another person and really accepted and loved by somebody and that's what I love one of my favorite parts in in the final episode where they both propose to each other and um I'm such a romantic so of course I started crying when that happened I was like oh my god that's so cute I love Poppy we'll we'll get on Poppy here in a minute but um I like Angel's character and especially when she turns down what what was it Stan yeah Evan, Evan Peters yeah um I love how she she wants to be seen and accepted by him and like just the fact that she turned him down when he came crawling back and said, no, I have a family. I know my worth and I'm not going to give that up. And I'm sorry. I love you, but I'm not going to take you. Like that must've been so profound to have that experience of being in a place of power of saying, no, this is not what I want. I'm not going to show up because I'm going to be your little prize and your little doll and your little secret. And I think that's really when she stepped into her own power was when she, she rejected Stan. And so and that goes back to, <clears throat> excuse me, what you were saying, Aaron, about how we didn't transition Stan into this knight in shining armor or somebody who was pandering to her and trying to get her attention over and over and over again. He just gave up and went away. And I'm, I'm, glad the story did not evolve into uh well where did he go what did he do you know mm-hmm. um it actually followed continued in its true path and true story of following the characters so getting to know somebody new and not for once not being sexually exploited immediately like their experiences their first experiences they just laid in bed and talked to each other you know um, and that was pretty authentic. And I think that was um, a beautiful moment between those two. So I definitely wanted to make sure I touched on that. But I like Angel and I love who she ends up becoming and really seeing herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and um, Tiffany? I, I love, love, love the character of Angel <laughs> because, I mean, the name fits, right? She's, mm-hmm. she's, un- and she's there's a reason that when it's face category she always wins and <laughs> she gets <laughs> ten, ten tens across the board because um there's a scene in one of the first uh first few episodes where she does this um gosh it, i think it's actually when she's still in Electra's house so it might have been the pilot where she just gives face and she leans back and the light hits her and I actually used that. Um, I, I was. I remember I was tweeting about it, and I used that caption just to say, "Wow," <laughs> because her it, it encapsulates everything that Angel is about. She is. She is angelic. She's a delicate spirit. She. Um, she. You can tell she's been hurt, and mm-hmm. she's gone through so so much. But she's gone through the fire, and she's come out on the other side. And one of the, probably she's the most. She was, she needed Blanca the most, I think, out of everybody. She honestly did because Blanca pushed her. Had she still been with Electra, she would not have gotten 
that push that she needed to become the success that she ultimately ends up being. And I, I think that I don't, I also don't think that she would be with Lil Poppy had she stayed with yeah. Electra. I, I mean, it, because I think she, Blanca gave her the ability to see herself as the great person that she is. And if you don't have that self-confidence, you're not going to allow anybody else in. So I definitely don't think the relationship with Poppy would have happened. Uh, and I do, and I echo what what Sarah said about um, her not being with Stan, <clears throat> because that I, I did not, I, I'm so glad that they didn't follow that path. I, and you're right, Aaron, that the, any other show, it probably would have happened. It, it probably would have, they would have, um, just have him be the knight in shining armor and showed his journey um, from kind of a sort of probably bigot <laughs> to yep. somebody that's, uh, oh, he's at the balls every week and um, he's dating this person and he leaves his wife, but then probably goes back to his wife and then he goes back to, yeah, I'm so glad that didn't happen uh, because it l- allowed Angel to to forge her own path. And I don't think that would have happened had that storyline stayed with Stan. So love Angel, love India Moore for playing the character like that. And I, I find it interesting also because India Moore um, actually is, is non-binary. So they bring out a, a completely different aspect to playing that role just from their own experience. So it's um great character, great character and great portrayal. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And she, and yeah, Angel fits her perfectly. And, you know, she's just, she's gorgeous. She's absolutely beautiful and stunning. And you almost have a angelic, like halo glow about her, you know, and she, she's just so beautiful. And she finds her strength. She's such a romantic. She's just a pure romantic at her at heart. You know, she's wants love and acceptance and wants beauty in her life. And, you know, that's just what she wants. And I think she, it took her a long time to feel like she actually, actually deserved that deep down, you know, that she actually was worthy of that, that she was worthy of love that wasn't going to be, um, abusive in any kind of way which would have been what it would have been if she had stayed with Stan you know um because there's abuse of all sorts not just physical and I think that would have been an abuse of her her soul and her spirit and he would have used her and so I'm so glad that she found her power um and got away from that and then grew and then with Poppy yeah I shipped them too they are just they're so great together. And it wasn't one of those that you really necessarily even saw coming, but it made perfect sense. They just, they fit so well together and they complement each other so well. And I think they both push each other in the right way um, and support each other. And they're just so, so great. They just are such a great complement to each other. And yeah, Angel just fits her so, so perfectly. I can't even imagine her having a different name because <laughs> you know, it really is like a halo <laughs> I really do kept expecting to see that um but yeah watching her grow um is amazing and yeah I I agree I don't think that a lot of that would have happened without having Blanca around um yeah and Blanca just 
did amazing things for her and pushed her and got her out from working the streets and, um, you know, being a prostitute and, and it, it just, yeah, she just really saved her in a lot of ways that Electra, I don't think would have done if she had stayed in that house. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I don't think Electra built up her confidence as much as Blanca did. Um, and I don't know if Electra saw the same things in her that Blanca did. So I, th- I think that's, that's great. Great. Well, let's move on now to, um, Poppy, to little Poppy. Uh, what are your thoughts on Poppy, Sarah? I, at first he was like this dorky little boy that was just like, okay, come on, just wake up. You're not taking life seriously. But of course he was, he was young, you know, and I think, um, you really see him grow in, after he gets kicked out of the house for selling weed on the pier. And then he's in the house of, uh, what's Lulu and Candy's house the house of extravaganza no it's um ferocity ferocity yeah like he gets treated like shit (laughs) you can't you can't you can't not expect anything different from Lulu and Candy because that's what they were taught from Electra and being in her house and just how horrible they are to him uh, that really pushed him back to Blanca and I think having that experience of being kicked out losing his his positive experience with Blanca and his real family he realized what he did wrong and he did not want to make that mistake ever again so I think that's when you really have this intense growth of him and I love I just love how incredibly loyal and dedicated he is to everyone in that house especially when Blanca shares her HIV status with her kids. He, I love how he just gets out of the chair, goes up next to her, kneels down and said, you get anything, you get a sniffle or fever or anything, you call me, I will be here to take care of you. And I love that he shows up and does that when it, when it actually does happen. Like he brings her food, he brings her all the things that she needs and, and he shows up like he is reliable. And I think that's one of the things that I like most about his character is how he just shows up intensely and lovingly and passionately for everybody in his life and you can see that evolve as he creates his own management business and how his dedication to the trans community and the women who want to represent themselves in a way that is positive instead of being sex workers and uh, giving them an avenue of access to something different and he's authentic and even with getting the job for angel in germany he's like uh, she was scared because she was concerned that they were going to find out he's like they already know they know and that's why they want you they think that's edgy and and and, and it's important to portray that it was like holy cow like he is authentic, and so I, I really love that. But he's got this little boyish, giggly part to him, but he is just so passionate, so romantic. And uh, one of the things that I, one of the lines that he said in the show that I loved when Angel stood him up for his date, he was he fervently said, I am a prize too. And, like, he did not downplay his value. He knew his value. And that's something you don't usually see. And and, uh, 
I, I really love and appreciate how he authentically accepts Angel, no matter her status. Like, of course, you're trans, but you're the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Like, I, when I first saw you, you were just floating across the air. And there's, time, there's moments when I'm with you that I get to be up there, but I also get to be your anchor when you come back down. Or if something happens and you fall, I'm here to pick you up. And so I love that about his character. He's so genuine. Yeah, I agree. And Tiffany? I love the persistence of Little Poppy because I, I think that <laughs> that just kind of describes him to a T. He is, he's persistent. He goes for what he knows and he makes it happen uh, with his, his management company. I don't think it, who would have the, the cojones to march in to the <laughs> the uh the head of um I, I guess it's kind of like elite model management sort of yeah. uh the, basically to the to the president's <laughs> desk and say hey I need you to mentor me I need you to give me a, <laughs> I need you to give me an office and a phone and <laughs> and I need you to 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 guide me on the path I need to be to make my own management company and I I think that's something that is that's profound for me that he's making sure that he he's doing everything in his own power to pull Angel along with him to make sure she's a success in his success. As long as she succeeds, he succeeds. And I love that because he's, he really sees what they have is a partnership. Uh, he share and share alike. And I like his growth as well, because I, I like Sarah thought he was like a silly kind of, giggly little dude and he was <laughs> like you know an annoying little brother kind of always understood. Yep. <laughs> doesn't really add anything to the pot <laughs> you know just um kind of just there but he really stepped up and he uh proved his worth I think to the family overall to the house um and so I I, I love that scene of them proposing to each other it's adorable it's so dorky but it's so cute <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that they did it in like you know they did it in the ball <laughs> around I, I'm I'm completely against like real public proposals I hate that for me myself but, but I loved it for them I thought it was really cute <laughs> and it fits their characters perfectly it's just, it fits them to a T to, to have it be public like that. Yeah, because I'm with you, Tiffany. I hate the public, the big, huge public proposals. Always like the ones, you know, like at a basketball game or at a football game or something like that. Big stadium when they propose like that <laughs> way or something like that. That to I me is so just, much secondhand embarrassment. Exactly. Oh, yeah. It's just yeah. <laughs> and plus it's so much pressure of like, well, if I say no, it's going to humiliate this person. Yeah. Right, exactly. But anyway, yeah, I agree with that. But yeah, he's, um, yeah, he's he's very he's very sweet and very much like like a like a little boy at first. He seems like a little kid at first. Like you said, I think, um, what you said, Tiffany, about him being like the annoying little brother—that's a perfect description <laughs> of him when he first starts. And you just are like, please, please, just don't go out there when, when he's out there, when he's selling pot and you're just like, please don't do that. We, you know, you want him to succeed. You want him um, to, to know that he is worth more than that. Um, but at the same time, you understand why he does it. It may, makes sense. 
but you do want him to do more. You feel, um, you feel a lot like Blanca when you watch him, you're just like, come on, come on. I know you, you've got more in there. I know you, you're, you're, you're worth more. I know you can succeed. I know you can do more and watching him grow. And, um, yeah, that confidence he has is amazing. I, I envy that. And he's so honest. He's just a genuine person. Um, you can believe everything he says. Like, he's not going to lie. He's not going to lie about who Angel is when he's promoting her. Um, he's not going to lie about who he is um, as a person, you know. And and it, and it that's very rare. And I think that's why he's so great for Angel. And they're so great together. Um, because he really sees her and loves every part of her. Um and doesn't want to hide anything about her. You know, she's, he's her prince, um, you know, but a real prince, which, you know, princes are flawed and princes, you know, like, you know, a real partner is flawed and not completely perfect, but they're perfect together. If that makes sense, they complement mm-hmm. each other so well. Um, and I think they've helped each other grow. Um, and he's just, he's, he's a joy to watch. He really just, he makes me smile most of the time, you know, and he's, he's so protective and, but in a good way, not in a controlling way. Um, and he's just, he's really sweet. He's just really sweet. is the word that I think of. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think of him. Okay. Well, before we get into candy, actually, I'm going to skip forward to Damon because since Damon is another member of the house, I want to stick sort of with Blanca's house right now. Um, so let's let's talk about uh, Damon. What are your thoughts on Damon, Sarah? Uh, Damon is, is definitely has a learning curve that he is struggling to navigate, and he's he spends most of the show trying to figure out who he is by cat by latching onto the coattails of whoever he's with. Um, and I know that's very can be very typical for. Um, people in LGBT community relationships where you just latch on. Oh, this is, this is your dream. Okay. It's going to be my dream too, in some capacity. So I feel like he follows Ricky around. No, no. Ricky follows, follows Damon around. Excuse me. Um, I was talking about the wrong person. (laughs) Anyway, uh, going back to Damon. He, his history of coming, coming out and moving to New York and being naive about what it was like to be on the streets and wasn't listening to advice of like holding on to your backpack. You got to sleep with your backpack in the front, not in the back. Don't leave it hanging out next to you. It's going to get stolen. Um, he definitely is naive and needs a lot of attention and guidance and support and a push in the right direction. And Blanca is exactly what he needs. And she she could see it. He was so present and available for her taking. Um, and she just basically says, you're coming home with me and you're going to be in a house and here are my rules and gets all butthurt about them be- there being rules. But those rules and her tenacity and forcefulness of like, no, you are going to show up to life. You are going to do what you're supposed to. You are going to be accountable. You're going to be responsible. Like he really gets the mother that he really needed, but also um, gave him permission to be who he was. Uh, And that was something his parents, biological parents just could not give him. Um, And 
they even even his um biological mom um basically implied that she wanted him to get the the gay disease and never come around again and it was it's horrible to think about so many lgbt kids that were kicked out um and so young and aids and hiv used as a weapon against them when it was already already against them and so it's that was really disheartening to see but damon grows in such a profound way and in some ways it kind of reminds me of one of my brothers my youngest brother sam who's big into fashion and things like that so he, he would he would fit in this world and quite a bit but um he's he's the one that he's the the uh the brother of the house that really takes a while to grow up and then leaving completely and going on tour in europe was is was exactly what he needed he needed to run with the guidance and support that he had cultivated with being in blanca's house so that way he can set up his own house in Paris like who'd have thought he'd he'd have done that you know um just how he he is really trying to pay it forward and be accountable and honor his path I I'm grateful that he uh took that break from Ricky to evaluate whether or not he wanted to be with him and focus on himself and I think that gave him the self-respect he was searching for and that just accumulated more and more throughout episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And your thoughts, Tiffany? I have um, so much sympathy for how he was treated by his bio parents in that, in that pilot episode. And, and when he's kicked out and he just, he's so lost because you can feel that he's sheltered um, a lot. It, it, it looks like he's an only child. Um, and it, his mother actually cultivated his, his dancing, his artistic talent, but couldn't. So she accepted that side of him, but couldn't accept who he was as a full person, as a, as a, a young gay man and that I mean that hurt my heart when she kind of wishes that upon him and you know to never come back and he's essentially disowned and then just wandering the streets of New York like dude what are you doing you need to have a plan you can't just sleep in the park you can't leave your bags unattended so meeting Blanca I think was the best thing that could have ever happened to Damon Mm -hmm. and um meeting Ricky (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> was not necessarily the best thing <laughs> that could happen today. <laughs> because I think there was a lot of um, toxicity in that relationship. Mm-hmm. There was definitely a lack of trust um, because, mm-hmm. you know, Ricky just for some reason just can't keep it in his pants. And um, I think he, he I don't want to say he preyed on Damon because Damon by that point was, you know, fully realized as an adult. But I do think that he took advantage of his naivete. And um, 
he hardened him in a way. <clears throat> and and that was that was hurtful for me to see. Um he got the he got a bit I feel like Damon got a bit brittle after yeah. that breakup with Ricky. Um a little uh, slightly bitter. <clears throat> you could you could see it in the way he was interacting with people. Um but I think his career moving forward and taking off was such a boon for his confidence. And you could see it. He blossomed when that happened. And he setting up his own house in Paris. Oh my goodness. Who would ever, who would have ever thunk it when, you know, from that first scene of him, of his, you know, his dad throwing his stuff out of the house and, and giving him the boot to, him coming back to New York and like so sophisticated, so suave and, and saying he's a house father now. That's, it's amazing. I like his journey. I really I like his journey a lot. Yeah, me too. He's, he's one of my favorites. Um, definitely. And when he auditions, the scene when he auditions, um, is, I just, I just love that. I loved watching him dance and, Watching, you'd see those little moments where he would lose his confidence, and then he would he would smile again, and um, he would, you know, bounce back and do that, and 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 watching him grow and watching him come from this place of being so so alone and so scared, and not knowing at all what he was going to do or how he was going to survive, to being a a, a house father it's just it's it's incredible I mean that's just an incredible journey to take and and you know a lot of that is owed to Blanca and um her faith and confidence in him um but him but just being able him just being able to find his own way and find his own path and heal and get more confidence and learn how how beautiful he is and to get away from that yeah I agree that relationship with Ricky was toxic um, and there was no trust there and you can't have a healthy relationship if you have no trust. Um, and Ricky was not always the best to him. So yeah, that was not a very good relationship. And, and I do think he was hurt a lot by that, but he grew from it and he learned from that and he, um, became stronger and, and more passionate about his day, about dance, about his passion, um, and about being just truly caring wonderful man that he is he's just I just adore that character I did from the very very first shot I was just like I'm gonna just love this character I just knew right away um and the actor Ryan um Swain is just so oh my god he's so good he's so so good um in that role and he just expresses so much vulnerability on his face and you can see all the emotion there and the pain and the just that going back to that dance the audition scene you could see so many emotions running through his face he's just such a good actor so expressive um yeah he's wonderful definitely one of my absolute favorite characters on the show so i really really love him okay so let's get into i wanted to talk about candy um a lot because of sadly what happens to her in season two but let's talk about candy uh what are your thoughts on candy sarah i i like her character for some reasons and also don't like her character for others and i think it really um comes from her fierce independence and wanting to be um out from under electra's shadow 
and she is she is just violently fierce. <laughs> the fact that she carries around a hammer, <laughs> <laughs> a ball peen hammer, shows how how real and intense she is about like I'm gonna throw down. I don't mm-hmm. care what you think, and here's here's what's up. Like I'm not gonna tolerate this anymore. And um, I I don't think we got a whole lot of opportunity to really get to know her, but she was mean just like Electra was um but I think what I like liked about her the most was that she was absolutely authentic about who she was and unapologetic there's no apology in a lot of these characters for for who they were and I love that um but she I think one of the my favorite episodes was actually her funeral and it was probably the most powerful because she got to reconcile with so many different people and you got to see that experience of her biological parents acknowledging who she was and missing that relationship and even um, the impact she had on Lulu and pray tell like pray she even haunts pray tell and do we really even know if she had HIV or AIDS? Like it's implied when Billy's talking to her in the hospital, mm-hmm. like um, was she suffering alone? And that she was just being intense and fierce because that was just making her stronger to have to like navigate a- alone. Um, so I don't think we got a fair chance at really understanding or knowing her, knowing her character. I think they could have taken her a totally different direction, but her end of her story was just as powerful and just as important as her continuing her role throughout the show if they extended her Mm -hmm. um and uh, just her as an actress like i love she she's an intense actress for sure and i like her background of um I just read up on her a little bit and she had joined the Navy for a while. Like she, um, she taught herself computer coding and now she runs her own uh, technology business that's focused around hiring trans women, especially trans women of color. So like even in her personal life, she's doing amazing things. And um, so she's not just doing acting, but she's doing good things in the world. So it's, Uh, both sides of her I really I really liked Um, but yeah I would have liked to seen her go further but her end story was perfect yeah and Tiffany Uh, I I'm torn because I, I do love Angelica Ross I love the character of Candy because seeing her depth as a someone who is she's she's ground down under Electra, and we don't see her blossom until she starts her own house with Lulu until she starts the house of ferocity um and I think you see that from jump when she goes to that back street <laughs> um, surgeon yeah. her quotes and gets like cement filler in her you know, in her box, it's just, you know, it's, it's one of those things because she's, because Pray Tell is relentless when it comes to making fun of her 
when she tries to to walk the body care uh, category and he's just I mean he is relentless when it comes to digging at her and uh, getting under her skin and same thing with Electra it's the same um same premise I think Candy I don't know if she needed to be hand- handled with kid gloves, but I think she needed to be handled with a lot more um, tact than those two did. And her her actions were almost always reactionary. It's because somebody did her wrong that she turned around and did something else. So there was a lot of um, act and react. <clears throat> Excuse me. So... I had I I did not like the fact that they fridged her. Um, I know it was because Angelica Ross had gone to um, got cast in American Horror Story in that um, that eighth season of American Horror Story, uh, and she was great in that. Just FYI, if you haven't seen it, she's really excellent <laughs> in it. <laughs> but um, with the fact that Black trans women only have a life expectancy of 35 uh, in real life. I had a major issue with her being the one to be killed on the show, Um, especially considering that she is the, besides Elektra, uh, who's such a central character, she is the only other dark-skinned woman on the show. So... That raised my hackles a bit. I was really upset um, at the ending, even if it was written really well. I, I agree with you, Sarah, that it, it was written well. Um, it was a, uh, a poignant send-off, especially when, when Lulu was doing like her own private eulogy of her. Um, but I do have my own issues with it. And, and they're... I, I think that I'm not going to get over it anytime soon simply because I know that it's like that in real life. And I watch Pose to kind of get away from that a bit. So, but yeah, okay. and, and, <laughs> yeah, and there are other ways just because a, a person is leaving a show, just because the actress is leaving a show, there are other ways to do that. You know, and they didn't even have to, I mean, they could have just had her go somewhere. Um, they didn't have to kill her. That's the thing is, you know, they, they didn't have to do that for, um, dramatic effect. And as you said, for fridging a character, you know, which is a big, big issue. And, um, we're definitely going to do an episode about that sometime because that is a trope, uh, that needs to die. (laughs) I mean, really that needs to go away. Um, and especially when it's it's not it's not necessary. But what you you know what you were saying about Candy's death is you know and and how yes it may be true to reality, but we don't always need to see that. And you know, exploiting that pain is not always a good thing. To, it's not a good thing to do. And I was going to talk about the ending of Get Out and how that kind of you know reverses that that pain but I won't say because I want you to see the movie Sarah because it's it's an amazing movie so yeah I do want to want to see that but I also want to want to touch touch back on on um how Candy died in this in the series I think that's a really important 
important message that they were trying to convey about how um, transgender people and especially transgender people of color are often exploited, sexualized, and, and really honestly murdered uh, because it's a threat to that white male person's identity. And, and there's a lot of shame around being with a trans person uh, that is experienced. And so I'm, even though it was a fridging of a character, I think it was important to be able to convey the violence that the transgender community experiences when they put themselves out there, especially when they're having to be sex workers, because that is the only job that they can do. Um, that still is true to today. Um, so I, I definitely don't want to, um, want it to be thrown under the rug that this is something that's like, this is a normal experience of characters. I, it's really important that we have this awareness out in mainstream media and, um, um, movies and cinema so that way there is awareness about the impact people have on the transgender community so i definitely can't not speak on that as, as an advocate for the trans community so i said i yeah i i hear what you're saying i think i think and i don't know do, do you want to add anything else to that tiffany anyone else want to add anything else about candy's death i i I'm conflicted over it simply because also her death occurred off screen. So it's, it's really almost like ghosting her. I, I don't know if that, you know, not ghosting in the fact that nobody ever speaks to you, you know, you're trying to get in contact yeah. with somebody and not, not in that sense, but like you're, you're pushing her out completely, even though she, she pops back up, um, and the haunting of, of pray tell and, and even at her own funeral, um, she's, she's able to, to view it through the, the mourners eyes. Um, I, I don't know. I'm just, yeah, I'm really, really conflicted over it simply because it happens so often in television and film. So I have a hard time reconciling it, even though it's, it's extremely prevalent in reality so but i still have a hard time reconciling it especially because like you said aaron you know they could have just had the character you know move on i don't know move to california move to florida someplace else just but the fact that they um completely cut the character off is is hard for me yeah no i see i see both sides of what what you guys are saying because it you know there could have been other ways to to tell that story I think um and it but it I mean it is important to acknowledge that that does happen I mean it is important to acknowledge um that black trans men and women are murdered you know that that it, it you know there were just a couple of um black trans women that were murdered I think it was just the other day so it, it's happening it happens all the time and it doesn't get acknowledged as much so I totally totally see that it just 
would have been, I don't know. I, I think the way it was handled was a little bit iffy. I didn't like the way it was filmed. I will say that the reveals when they showed the maid, um, while, you know, cleaning up the room, I didn't like the way that was filmed. There was something about that that bothered me. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but kind of like it, it felt kind of exploitive. Yeah. Um, just the way yeah. it was, the way it was done. I, I didn't like that, but I did like the way it was, it was written well, that it was performed well. I did the funeral scene was really interesting. I did think it was interesting that she haunted pray tell, um, especially because, and you said this, Tiffany, I mean, he was so hard on her. I mean, so hard on her. And yeah. when she, when she got that cement, implant that the cement butt implant or whatever <laughs> that was I was so nervous I was so scared at that time I'm like oh my god oh my god I thought she was gonna die from that I really did I was like oh my god this is gonna you know poison her or something like that that was so painful to watch and I agree I think her big thing was she had this tough exterior but she was a lot softer than Electra was and I don't think everybody realized that. So they, I think people, like especially Electra and Praytel, felt like they could um, talk to her that way because they thought she was tough as nails, you know, so to speak. But I don't think she was at all. She had a real soft center to her. Um, and I think she desperately wanted to belong and I think a lot of times except for with Lulu she felt uh kind of like an outsider in a way that was that was the impression that I got was sometimes she felt like an outsider to the group to the to the house um and she was trying to adopt uh the the persona that Electra had and she was trying to adopt having that strength but you could see that hurt and pain come through so much. Um, so it would have been interesting to explore that more and maybe have her really find her voice um, and her confidence would have been really interesting to explore. Um, and I didn't know all that about Angelica Ross. That's really um, cool, that coding thing and, and starting her own business. That's that's pretty yeah. amazing. Yeah, I didn't know that about her, so... Yeah, yeah, and I, I look. I look up all my characters that I'm watching. Like, who are they, and who were who are they representing, and stuff like that. So, Wikipedia has been my favorite website lately. I should donate to them more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that about her, but and I haven't watched um, the latest season of American Horror Story, but I will when it becomes available for streaming for sure. She's so. she's really great. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> it's, it's a total departure from. Um, from Pose. So yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of shocking, shocking scenes in there, but I think you'll, you'll enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's like, it's a, sorry, a little tangent here, but it's like a riff on eighties um, slasher films, right? Isn't that what that, that's yes. this, that latest season is? Yeah. That's what I thought. So, and I was, I was nervous because, you know, this is the first um, AHS that didn't have, Sarah Paulson or mm -hmm. Peters in it. And I was thinking, is it even an American horror story if Sarah Paulson's in it? <laughs> <laughs> right. Or yeah. Angela Bassett or Kate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you even call it that? But um, it really, really, uh, they really did a great job with the casting on it. I, Emma Roberts surprised me because huh. 
I did not necessarily care for her in um, a couple of other AHS episodes, well, other seasons, but she really brought it in this season. She, uh, this past season, I thought she was really, she was really a lot of fun. And um, oh my goodness, Billy Lord, please. (laughs) Her character is, uh, she is a hoot. She is an absolute hoot in this. So if you get a chance, definitely check it out because Angelica Ross is a a scene stealer for sure. Yeah, I definitely will. Because yeah, that's that's one of my um, guilty pleasure shows because, you know, I go mixed on each season. But yeah, total tangent here, guys. But yeah, but I, uh, yeah, I'll definitely have to check it out when it's available. And we are going to do a show someday about American Horror Story. We'll have to do that. Um, okay, well, let's get into Pray Tell. Um, and then we'll also get into Billy Porter himself. But let's get into Pray Tell. What are your thoughts on Pray Tell, Sarah? I love his character. He really brings like um, some amazing depth and flair and um, intensity to show and all the rest of the houses. And I can only imagine what it would be like to manage all those, ugh, all that realness <laughs> on a on a at a ball. Um, but he. He shows a really sweet and endearing um, soft side to a strong gay male role. And not just as the actor, but like at his role itself. Like, um, he is so relatable and so accessible to, to the audience that you can't help but love his character and be so genuinely interested in how he is feeling and his experience of life and how just the, the many times that he's just been drunk as a skunk by himself in his house and just like, who's going to love me, you know? And we've all been there. We've all had those moments of like, nobody loves me and I'm just a horrible human being and I'm going to be alone forever. And, and it's not true. And especially when um, Ricky wakes up um, the next day with him and he's able to see that somebody is going to be there. And I'm impressed that they last for nine months and longer, hopefully. character just brings a strong male um, gay male dynamic and especially a person of color who is knows the struggles that they've experienced and know how what they're going to experience and what it's like to be a gay black man in New York and be poor and do try to navigate life the best the way they can and he's really strives to live life and but he also rejects a lot of who he is by not acknowledging that he needs to have somebody it's it's good to have a partner it's good to have a person in your life that you can connect with and do wonderful things with and still have joy even though you have he has HIV and he's had his different illnesses and his own health scare and and that experience he I think he finally realizes closer towards the end of the season too that 
it's okay to be with somebody and for him to come back and be friends with Blanca like that Blanca experienced so much loss during that time she lost all of her kids she lost her business she lost her best friend and then she was alone for nine months Um, so him reconciling with Blanca was uh, vulnerable but so important to convey that relationships can heal and move forward and he did that beautifully so yeah, I love his character and his intensity and his unapologetic um, representation of him, himself. Mm-hmm. And Tiffany. Okay, first off, Billy Porter is the goat. Let's all <laughs> <laughs> let's all recognize that game. Recognize game. Um, Prey is one of those people who just takes up a lot of space, but in a good way. Um, his, he has this, um, this excitement for life, but I think you can see that he is being trod upon and he's a bit downtrodden by the time we get to um, the middle of season one because all of this death is really starting to get to him and um, Sarah explained it really beautifully about him needing somebody and being vulnerable to needing somebody and recognizing that you shouldn't be alone in life that you have to have not only friendship but companionship as well and I personally, you know, I, I had the Electra face when, when it was, whenever, when, when he and Damon got together, because um, like Blanca said, it's, he's an elder in the, in the ballroom community. And the fact, and Damon is very much, I mean, Damon, Ricky is very much not an elder (laughs) in the ball community there's a big age difference there and um I was a little bit hesitant to see them get together and hook up uh even if that relationship there was a lot of um there was a lot of companionship when you saw them just kind of hanging out in his apartment and sitting around, shooting the breeze, watching TV, eating dinner together. Um, It still kind of gave me pause. But I will say that the overall character of Pray Tell is so fun and so vivacious. And he's another one like Electra that knows how to cut you and knows how to cut you deep. He knows just what to say to make maximum impact. And he doesn't have to use a lot of words. He, I mean, he can, he can read you for filth in literally a sentence and that's that. And I think that's why he always um, got to candy because he didn't have to say a lot, but everything that he was just like nails, nails, nails flying at you. But the character is, is so well-written and that, uh, that hospital when he was in the hospital and that when he's being haunted and, and he's having these basically like these hallucinations. I don't even know if you can call them dreams. They were more like hallucinations. Uh, that was so good. That that whole episode was so well done. 
um, it, it just showed mm-hmm. the range, I think, of Billy Porter. So I'm, I'm in awe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Billy Porter is, he's just, he's so incredible. He's incredible, 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 incredible. I just love him. And his YouTube channel, everybody should subscribe to that and watch his videos because he's, <laughs> He's right on. He's amazing. He's just, I, I love that. I love him so much. Um, and yeah, he's, Pray Tell is incredible, an incredible character um, and so much depth there, um, so many layers. And yeah, in that, that episode, that Love's in Need of Love Today episode that you've mentioned is such a great episode. So unique and different. It, uh, it almost has also like a, a musical feel to it because of, you know, the, the cabaret thing that they're trying to prepare for. And there's, there's fan fantasy element and this, um, not horror element, but this, um, almost like his mind is torturing him in some ways too. Um, if that makes sense. Um, and it, it's just, it's a really, really good episode and his range in that episode is, is really great too. And yeah, the, the, the Ricky thing was another one of those that kind of came out of left field like I wasn't predicting that at all I would never have thought of putting the two of them together um, but I did love their scene um, when um, and I don't know if it's in the the season finale of season two or when um, you know when, when when the guys are going to um, dress up and, and, and dress and go and drag and perform at the ballroom and he has to put on the heels and he walks out and it's like I'm not going to do this and then they sit and have that scene I don't remember which episode that is I don't know if Mm -hmm. it is in the is is that in the season finale of season two I can't remember Uh, but there's I think but yeah but they're sitting there and it's such a great scene um and so compassionate um and the way it's the way it's done and the way it's handled and the way it's mm-hmm. even though pray tell is an elder, you still see kind of like they're, they're on the same wavelength there in that scene. Um, and it's like Ricky can almost teach him something, help him, um, help him come to terms with uh, who, who he is and expressing another side of himself, discovering another side of himself, discovering his femininity and, and, and getting in touch with that and being comfortable with that. Um, I thought that was a really beautiful scene. I really loved that scene. And I loved watching him walk. I loved that. And, and yes, that he was so great. He was so great in that. And the little shade he throws, you know, when he gets the nine, when he gets one of the, and he gets a nine and the little shade he throws, I just, and that look on his face. Oh my God. I just, <laughs> I loved that too. And I love watching his relationship with Blanca. Um, there's, they have such a, loving relationship they're like brother and sister is the way I kind of view it and they're so supportive Mm -hmm. of each other um and I just loved watching them together and I also loved his relationship with Sandra Bernhardt's character I thought that that's a really good relationship as well um and you know watching him um in the beginning of season two when he goes um to the act up meeting um Mm-hmm. You know, when she takes him, I thought that was really great, too. And seeing him become more active and using a lot of his grief um, to to help help the community and to speak out. And, um, 
yeah, I thought I thought that was really great to watch in season two as well, and watching him really, really dealing with his illness. Um, yeah, he's and Billy Porter once again. I just have to say, he's just I just I love him so much. He's so incredible. I would love to see him on stage someday. I would just love to see him live in some play or something. I'm just because he's just so incredible. Um, we should just manifest being friends with him. <laughs> Much. go big or go home come on yeah there you go <laughs> i'm gonna manage we'll get, we'll get him on your podcast and then... oh my god i would i'd be like wouldn't have any words probably <laughs> have to have to definitely follow a script a whole yeah script. <laughs> and there's quite a few people i can think of that would be i'd be like uh <laughs> i don't know what to <laughs> say <laughs> that'd be one of them for sure but yeah he's great well, are there any other characters, because I didn't list all of them, of course, are there any other characters that you guys want to make sure to mention or touch on or talk about, Sarah? The one I'd probably want to talk about is Lulu. Mm-hmm. Um, her character, how she is in the house of abundance and then forms the house with Candy and they're both equally awful to everyone. And then once Candy is missing and she tries to find her, that's when she really breaks down and realizes she needs to become her own person and just just the fact that even Blanca is a mother to people outside of her house speaks mounds about who Blanca is as as a uh, character but even Lulu told her that she was inspired by Blanca and chose to re-enroll in college so she can finish her degree in accounting like how inspirational can a person be like (laughs) Uh, her growth and her her softness that comes out and her genuine um, personality of just being this free spirited, soft, loving person. That's the I, what was missing, and she was hiding behind Candy because she wanted. To, I think she wanted to be her in some ways, and so establishing who she wanted to be was terrifying because once Candy was gone, her shield was gone that fierceness was gone and she had to hide. She hit, hid behind her for so long. And now she had to become who she needed to be. And that was terrifying for her. And uh, Blanca pulled her out of it and got her into a new space where she is like one of the sisters. She's also a mother, but she's also part of a very special group of women that can go on the beach vacation together and all connect and, um, I, I really like how um, gentle she seems to become and not less and not as intense. And I think the balance between uh, Electra and Blanca helped guide her into her own niche of who she wants to be, be as a mother. Mm-hmm. And Tiffany, do you have any other characters you want to speak on or? Uh, I do. I do actually like the character of Lulu um, because she she is in that shadow a lot. Uh, she really doesn't have a, a huge role um, when she's in the House of Abundance. <clears throat> uh, but when she and Candy do form House of Ferocity, it's um, it's almost like Lulu's trying too hard to be mean because I don't think she's a mean person. I think she's actually kind of nurturing. She's more nurturing than she is mean, but she's just trying to keep up. She's trying to keep up with, with how Candy 
is reactionary to everything and she's trying to keep up with how Electra treated her so she just lashes out but I don't think she's actually that person I think she's pretty gentle um and the way that Candy's death affects her I think was really poignant and really well done um because you get to see that that emotion come out from her whereas opposed she's just being super fierce and um and and serving face and serving uh, attitude, she's broken down a bit, and it's a different viewpoint for for us to see her. So I I hope we see more of Lulu next season, um, because I think the character can grow even more, and it'll be interesting to see how she is as just a an individual house mother, if the House of Ferocity actually survives. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with with what you guys have said about about Lulu, you know, and I I think with her she's um she's she kind of is like she wants she she's trying to find her voice like so many people on the show are trying to find their voice. And I think she kind of latches on to people and maybe takes a little bit of that personality on or or seeing that that might be what she wants to be when in actuality that's not who she is. Um, and yeah, she kind of was kind of very, very secondary in the first season, I thought. And then I think with the second season, she really came out a lot more. Um, she shined a lot more. Um, and you know, I, I think that's kind of a running theme with this show is so many characters finding their voice and getting confidence that they didn't have before. And I think that's true of her as well. I think she really is starting to find her voice more. And so it would be interesting to explore that and to explore if she does, like you said, Tiffany, if she does, if her house remains um, exploring that a lot would, a lot more would be really interesting seeing who her children are and who she takes on and how that grows. And then just watching her growth in general as a character. Um, Yeah. Well, before we Can close I out, add one sorry, more character. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry, first, yeah, there's one more character I think that was really formative to everybody's experience. Helena St. Rogers, oh. who um, the new dance school teacher, she was so for also formative to Damon's experience as a dancer, and she saw his potential, and so she really brought um some amazing support to his evolution and i love the relationship she has with uh, uh, blanca and how they support each other and how she's so um, commending of how she is as a mother so i that's one of those relationships i really like yeah i know i agree yeah i'm glad i'm glad that got mentioned as well that she got mentioned as well so Great. Well, before we close out, um, I'll just go around and see if there's anything anything else anyone wants to add about the lasting impact that this show will potentially have, um, how it might change the landscape. Um, Sarah, do you have anything else you want to add on that? I'm just excited to see how this show evolves. I want to see more more seasons for sure. I want to see the growth of it and how they tell the timeline of the LGBTQ history and how things are, have evolved and um, 
it's I, I find it surprising and interesting that they started this whole um, thing after the uh, Stonewall riots. So it's it's maybe like two decades after, but still it creates an interesting context that it's also in New York. And um, so I'm I'm excited to see that, and also the transgender uh, representation of the characters. I, I I'm a huge advocate for the trans community, and so. I'm excited to see them be represented. Um, I think one of the things that I would really like to see and, and this being impactful as well would, would be a transgender man on the show and show that dynamic as well because I think it's equally important to show not just the trans women but trans men as well. So uh, that'll be interesting to see and see how it evolves. Yeah, I agree with that. And Tiffany, do you have anything you want to add? I I echo everything that Sarah says. Um, I, I do hope for, at minimum, another two seasons to really, I feel like that would really kind of wrap things up. Possibly three. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think that puts a nice little bow on things. I, I hope that next season isn't the last. I know that the trend of especially prestige TV is to have like three seasons and you're out. <laughs> so I'm, yeah. hopeful that, I'm hopeful that they don't follow that blueprint and they give us four or five seasons to really uh, solidify these characters. And I do think that there's going to be a lasting impact because like Aaron, like you mentioned at the start of the show, this is the first time that we've seen a cast of majority trans actors playing trans roles. Um, And I do believe that they should have um, trans men on the show next season. And hopefully they have some um, non-binary identifying characters as well. Uh, The only person that I can really think of, a character that I can think of right now that's non-binary, in real life and on television is Taylor on billions. I can't think of of any others. So it would be nice if they embrace that um, just from an from a standpoint, from a from a queer standpoint. Um, so I, I do believe that the impact is going to be going to be lasting. It's going to be one of those shows that we talk about, like you've talked about previously with Queer as Folk. Um, like people talk about the Sopranos because it is the first of its kind and it's really well done. It's not just the first, it's well done. That's the key. So yeah. as long as long as they keep that trajectory going, I really think that the sky's the limit for Pose. Yeah, yeah, I do too. And I, I agree. I think that makes such a difference that it's so well done. Um, and that there's so much thought and heart put into it, um, you know, it, that makes a big difference because that can also make a difference in, in the fact that you can see more shows like this. You can see more representation. Um, and I agree. It would be great to see um, a trans male next year um, and or next season, sorry, next year, next season or in one of the upcoming seasons of Pose if they have more than three because like you said Tiffany a lot of times they do stop at three or four it seems like it's three or four is usually what happens Um, you know but as long as it keeps being you know the quality show that it is 
um, and they keep adding representation to it um, as, as much as they can. And I do think that has a lasting impact because this is a fairly successful show and, you know, Hollywood is a business. So, you know, they have a business model there. So if it is successful, it's seeing an audience, then that speaks to them that they, you know, well, maybe we can do this. Um, and I also think having a cast that, um, where trans actors are playing trans characters makes such a difference overall because too often you see cisgendered men playing these characters um, and it, it, it can be harmful. It's not, it can, you know, it, it buries people who could do those roles, who could perform those roles and it does a disservice to the community, I think. Um, so I think having this happen with Pose, having Pose do this, be this this benchmark, be this groundbreaker, can really help that um, in the future and in more shows. Um, you know, I, th- I think that's, I think hopefully it will lead to more representation. So I do think it's it's a groundbreaking show. It's a great show. And I hope it keeps going. Okay, well, let's go ahead and close out and have everybody say where they can be found if you want to be found. Um, We'll start with you, Sarah. Yes, you can find me on Facebook at sarah.e.alder, and that's the only platform I use. Great. And then Tiffany? I am generally on Twitter, and you can find me at who is Tiff is me. That's W-H-O-I-S-T-I-F-F-I-S-M-E. And then you can find me on uh, Instagram, same thing, at who is Tiff is me. And then on Facebook, which I do not really use for personal use, but if you have to reach out to me there, it's under (laughs) Tiffany (laughs) Wilson-Smith. But please reach out to me on on Instagram or on Twitter. (laughs) I try to use Facebook as little as possible. Uh, And then I also write for the Game of Nerds. And that is on all platforms at the Game of Nerds, all one word. And we're always looking for writers. So if you like to review films, if you like to review television shows, if you like to review gaming, uh, anything like that, magazines, books, we're always looking for folks to join the ranks. And you can reach out to us on Twitter or Facebook at The Game of Nerds. Wonderful. And I will link to The Game of Nerds. I'll link to the... um website as well in the show notes and then i'll just quickly add if you haven't listened to it already we had a wonderful interview with tiffany um a few months back so you should definitely check that out because she talks a lot about writing and i I thought it was a great discussion so i'm going to plug that interview again so go back and give that one a listen to learn more about (laughs) i'm sorry what was that Tons of fun, Aaron. Yes, yes, that was a lot of fun. So thank you for doing that. Okay, and this is Aaron. You can follow me on Twitter at eAprilBeauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. On Twitter at fandom thing pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram at it's a fandom thing pod. Um, and if you would like to reach out um, and 
for any reason, if you have any show ideas, sorry, ideas, feedback, anything like that, feel free to email the show at it's a fandom thing pod at gmail.com. And a reminder that we are now, um, you can now support the show for as little as 99 cents a month. So you can do 99 cents up to nine ninety nine a month. Um, and like I said, everything we get from that will be donated to Black Lives Matter organizations. And like I said, we're really going to try and focus on um, black trans organizations because those need those need a lot of attention as well. And um, they are getting left behind sometimes. So we need to focus on that as well. Um, so until next time. Oh. Sorry, I was going to tell you what's on our next show, <laughs> on our next episode, um, and we've already recorded it, and I'm really, really looking forward to people hearing this. Uh, we are going to be talking about uh, Mile High Comics, which is the biggest comic store in the United States, and it's located in Colorado, and they have there, they have an all-ages drag show that they do, and unfortunately, of course, they got a lot of hate groups that um, came out. And so in response to that, um, the Parasol Patrol was um, created and they shield kids from that hateful vitriol. And they have grown and done amazing things. And it's just a great, wonderful con conversation about what we've been talking about with Pose and a lot um, during this month of finding that home um, and finding that acceptance and that love and, um, and also speaking out and standing up for people and using your voice and using your power, um, for good. So it's, it's a really, really great conversation. So I look forward to everybody hearing that. So until next time, remember it's a fandom thing and black trans lives matter. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, are you a super fan of Taylor Swift, Jelly Roll, or Morgan Wallen? Are you that song nerd who likes to dive into every little lyric of every little song and figure out what everything means? Do you want to take that a bit further, though? Because I have a podcast called Songwriter Soup, and it dives into the journey of a songwriter and how those people help craft the soundtrack of your life. I'm Laura Veltz. And I'm bringing all of my friends together to discuss our funny little job writing for all of your favorite artists. Listen to Songwriter Soup wherever you get your podcasts.